It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. Back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling brother welcome everyone to reliving the war my name is nims Azor, joined as always by simon tackler and this is the show where it does what it says in the tin we are reliving the monday night wars simon we are well into 1997 we've got the bad taste of wrestlemania 13 out of our mouths and do you reckon that wcw are gonna make it a little bit better for us well, I'm shocked to say that they did because, you know, I've been team WWF throughout this whole thing. I've been shocked at how good the shows are. But WrestleMania 13 was the first truly bad pay-per-view in this run. And my expectations were so low for Uncensored 97 that it may have changed my opinion on the show because I didn't know what to think going in and uh, might have been that WrestleMania fatigue, but I really enjoyed this. Wow, uh, we're gonna have to check what's happened uh, in, in, with your brain matter and tick because this was a strange show. But you know what? As always, when it comes to WCW in 1997, you get convoluted plot lines. You have run-ins a go-go, which is why we didn't not just get one but two special guests on this week's edition of Reliving the War. Joining us, you might have heard them if you're a fan of PWA Black Label. They are the voices and the rather decent-looking faces as well of the backroom commentary team. Please welcome Andrew Rose and Chris Gale. Rose, Chris, welcome to Reliving the War. And uh, Chris, I'll start off with you, man. This is your first time on the pod. Welcome. It's an absolute thrill to be here, guys. And uh, as I was saying to you a little bit earlier before we recorded, we now live in a world where streaming offices everything and you don't know what to do. And I am eternally grateful for the opportunity and the curation you offered me and uh, WCW on Senate 97. I'm with Simon. I had a great time. Wow. Rose, help me out here, man. What did you think of this one? I don't know what these two psychopaths are talking about. <laughs> this, uh, this show made me so very mad and we'll go into uh, detail as to why it makes me mad. Uh, thank you for having me on the show again. It's great to be back. And uh, just to echo Chris, uh, using the internet now, the home used to be the only place I could get away from Chris, but here he is on my screen talking to me. <laughs> so... Well, Let's I also had some cameras installed in your place, Rose, but you don't know about that yet. <laughs> <laughs> Well, look, let's start off with uh, Uncensored 1997. I, Simon and I have often linked that whoever does the production for WCW in 96, 97 must have been like a year 12 media student <laughs> graduate because this is a hell of an intro. It's like someone went and sped up the copy and it's it's just so... The First off, the aesthetics of this entire pay-per-view, everything is done with the sort of ransom note kind of font. So it makes it very hard to read. And Simon, we'll start off with you, Matt. What did you think just getting into like pressing play and getting straight into that intro? Well, look, I said I liked the show, but as usual, I didn't like the opening video. There's nothing more I can add. All I wrote down in my notes is terrible opening video 
how were their production values so bad? And I don't buy Eric Bischoff's excuse that like, oh, WCW had a separate uh, budget to turn up. How? You had the resources. It can be better than this, surely. It was just so strange to sort of see uh, like the level of care that you have in WCW when it comes to the stuff outside the ring was almost non-existent. Uh, Chris, when you sort of, when you hit play, because I'm guessing this is probably one of the first WCW pay-per-views from that era that you've watched recently. Like what were the first impressions? Look, you just do the maths. You do 24 years ago and you go, well, where were we 24 years ago? And I was absolutely shocked to hear during the show that the internet was a thing in that day. So I was sort of, (laughs) I was sort of applying early 80s graphics, so I thought it was pretty sophisticated. I guess my timeline's really messed up. (laughs) Well, talk talk about aesthetics, though. One thing that I absolutely love, particularly I think WCW, I don't know what they filters they put on their cameras, and I guess maybe people could smoke in arenas in those days, but it's almost almost like, you know, seeing like old sepia photographs Mm. that sort of go in a hazy environment. They do it so well, and it, and it, it just evokes what nostalgia is, which is sweet pain so you can enjoy it and hate it at the same time yeah well this was 1997 so i was in year seven when this Mm -hmm. uh, pay-per-view and that intro pretty much beautifully describes how my brain was probably at that age (laughs) just this loud obnoxious can't keep on one picture type thing um i sat down next to my partner and said i have to watch an old wrestling show do you mind she goes yeah it's fine and the intro she pulled out of the intro it was so aggressive <laughs> for a non-wrestling fan. She's like, no, nah, you know what? I'm going to go to the other room. This is this is loud and too much. So it was a lot, but I guess you got to be if you want to be uncensored, as we're saying. Mm. They're making that very clear in the intro. They were absolutely making it so clear. Like, you know, this we're going so off script here. The, the best part I loved is when you get to the three-man announce booth, it's so unscripted and uncensored. We're going to completely do away with last names because the little nameplate that popped up on screen just said, this is Dusty, Tony, and Bobby. That's wow. it. No last names there. No Eric Bischoff as well. And uh, the, the best part that I... Yeah, the best part that I love too is like they're talking about the high stakes. The main event is, of course, a, a three-team match, which is Team Piper versus Team WCW versus team nwo which makes no sense why piper and wcw are so mm-hmm. on separate things but anyway the best part that i love is they make mention of the nwo has to disband for 36 months if the if uh if wcw win the match now off the bat rose were you actually going oh no what if they, what if they disband for 36 months okay we could we could go on and on about this main event and how convoluted the rules were and i i've watched the main event and i still am not totally sure what was going on in that main (laughs) event but we'll get there but this was an interesting point because they kind of in the blurb before i I was like oh let's just i'll just read the blurb to see what this show's about before i click play and Hmm. it was very kind of to the point there was no mention of 36 months in that so when he said that uh, my partner, who was in the process of leaving, was in the kitchen with 36 months from the kitchen that she actually jumped at that line. That is a crazy amount of time to not be able to wrestle. That should have been the focus. But uh, yeah, that came out of nowhere. Like you said, the, the entire show's kind of glue of putting everything together was just so, it felt like no one knew what was going on mm. at any but, point. I mean, I mean, what happened there was... Midway through, they were talking about what NWO, the stakes were, they had to return all the belts, right? Yeah. Right? Yep. And and they actually, points, didn't mention the three years out of the game. <laughs> yeah, where Michael Buffer did the stipulations he did. And I have to say, you know, maybe I was a bit hazy when I first began, but I go, 
I thought they just had to give the belts back. I mean, it, 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 yeah, it absolutely telegraphed what was going to happen. Yeah. Um, and one uh, of them will be killed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they didn't make much. And then at the end, they didn't make much emphasis about that they're going to control all the programming. It was like they could compete for all the belts, but at one point they said they're going to be able to control all the programming. And I go, that sounds fun. It was just, <laughs> I, you know, it was a little on the fly, I guess, is what you're trying to say. It was incredibly on the fly, it seemed. But when we finally get into the meat and potatoes of the pay-per-view, we start off with Dean Malenko taking on Eddie Guerrero. This is a no-DQ match. Uh, one thing that I did notice straight off the bat is we talk about how over Eddie was. And Simon, we've touched on this. Just how, like, you know, people always remember him like, oh, Eddie was nothing in WCW. It was only when he was Latino Heat. That's when he became a superstar. But you can see here, Eddie was always a star. But this time around, he's actually in the bad guy role. Yeah, this is Eddie finally moving to the heel Eddie, which is sort of the character and sort of the image we've all got of him from his late run in WCW into the WWE and, you know, for the rest of his career. Like, he's so close to taking off the singlet and putting on better tights and getting a better mullet. Like, he's so close. He needs water in the mullet and he needs to take the shirt off and we've basically got fully formed Eddie. But I'll be honest, I couldn't pay attention to the start of this match because there was a guy on the hard cam side in the first row dressed like everyone's dad in 1997, oh. button up with jeans, totally casual, like Tim the Toolman Taylor or whatever. But then he had a face of Sting makeup. And I was like, that is the best so dad ever. Oh my God. And when he didn't like something, he was deadpan, like deadpan <laughs> mime, like middle American dad collared shirt with the white face paint. And he was not happy. It was, oh, it took me a while to work out it was homage to Sting. I thought he was a Piro the Clown plan fan or something <laughs> yeah. like that for a while. It really wasn't, it wasn't a pro job, was it? Oh, thank you, Simon. It was, that was amazing. It was so crazy to see. You have to feel for the poor dude sitting there for three hours uh, with that face, uh, face paint on. But uh, as, as, as was the style at the time, we have ourselves some NWO shenanigans and we get a cutaway to the back where you see an overly concerned NWO uh, looking after the, the, what looks to be the corpse of Rick Starter. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> this is like a common theme of the evening because it just shows how dire straits WCW or team WCW were in. And Chris, when you saw, you know, Scott Hall's feigned concern for his fallen comrade backstage, what did you think? Well, first of all, was it Rick Steiner? I mean, <laughs> he might have had food poisoning or something and there was a body double because he was face down, baby, and not moving. So uh, we were taking it on trust that it was. Secondly, uh, I won't question the attitude of the NWI because they repeatedly said, this man needs medical help. And... <laughs> and and that's probably because they were aware of what they'd done to him. But I thought what was very, very significant was ultimately it was taken away, and, and, and I know we'll come to Dusty at some stage, by ambulance. And when he went by ambulance, <laughs> he, didn't go, he didn't go to the modern context, which is a nearby medical facility. He, in those days, they're still going to hospital. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, that, I, mean, I have to say, at that point, the show took off for me. I said, I'm really going to enjoy this. No doubt about it. <laughs> No, Rose, no. I see you're shaking your head. I had the opposite feeling. Uh, when, okay, uh, I, I respect and uh, I think in a way I agree with everything you guys said about Eddie, but on a personal level, this Eddie Guerrero might be my favorite Eddie Guerrero, like pre-wet mullet. Like there, something about 
this career, like I was watching this match and as a wrestling fan thought, this could be a main event. Like they, mm. they could have flipped this whole show and this would have been really, really fun because the crowd was invested and they were putting on a, a banger match. Like it was really, really fun. And then they crossed to Steiner. And then it, I had this moment of, oh yeah, this is 90s WCW. They'd love this stuff. Like we're in the middle of a great match. And we like, we don't even, the commentators don't even know if it's Rick Steiner. Like the, it cuts back to them and like, well, who was that big guy? Well, it's got to be a wrestler of some sort. Do your math. Yes. Like it was awkward. The absolute- you, you, we've been talking about this, Rose, about booking shows that your first uh, match could be a main event. So that's the sort of uh, a representation of that. But it, re- it really was corrupted in terms of the quality of the match by the, by the you know, because most of the time they do it in the between matches, but it was an interesting decision. But I guess they really wanted to get in the, the concept of um, what was going on uh, and Robin's involvement for some reason. That was something they really wanted to get out early, I think. Wanted to make was, it feel real. Yeah, but what was even worse about this is when they decided to actually go back to the match, and Rose, you're absolutely spot on, because this is, it was a banger. It was a great match, and very rarely do you have Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko in a match uh, that is fairly poor. But um, this is, it's got all the stakes. There's a good story behind it, all this sort of stuff. And they put the NWO storyline in there with the worst split screen on yeah. the planet. I mean, Simon, we've we've talked about the split screens that they've used at like Bash of the Beach, where it almost looks like a four-player Goldeneye on a small TV from uh, 1995. But um, what did you think when it's just like, okay, what are we watching here? Because it was, as Rose said, a really good match. Yeah, I'm sort of torn about it because WCW would normally do that, yeah, just straight up split screen, whereas WWE would make one screen bigger. They're saying, you know, put your focus on this for now, whereas WCW is like, just watch both because we don't know how to like make one screen bigger. Um, and the commentators don't really know what to talk about. But it's weird because I feel like Eddie and Dean knew people wouldn't be watching parts of the match because parts of it were kind of slow. It was a really great match, but it felt like they slowed down on purpose because they knew people at home wouldn't be paying attention. And I didn't realize that this match was even no DQ because they were wrestling it so straight. Until at one point, I think Eddie grabbed a rope while putting a hold on. And the commentators were like, he can do that. It's no DQ. And it's just like, okay, these guys put on a good match, but kept it in a lower gear because they probably knew they were going to get cut away from, but probably didn't know when. So I felt Mm. like they just were like, okay, let's play it safe because people might not be watching. We see some pretty cool. Mm -hmm. I've got a passing interest in rugby league. And um, uh, two things that emerged for me during the match. First of all, Eddie's mullet. You got a guy playing for the Melbourne Storm called Darren Shonig. He has Eddie's mullet 2021. <laughs> but the technical issue you're talking about there is one of the things that's driving me nuts in rugby league coverage at the moment. There's an incident. And what they do is that they put the replay of the incident in the main screen and they letterbox the live action. Mm. Right. And, you know, so I'm squinting at seeing what's going on right now. And I can't believe in 2021. That you go, surely you letterbox the replay, yeah, and you put the main action on the screen, and it's interesting that it, you know it's a it's a problem that seems insoluble to them. For a second there, Chris, when you mentioned uh, rugby league, I was like, tell me you didn't spot a random Souths guy in the audience, <laughs> did you? <laughs> no, but last night's game, there was a dude in full Middle American college shirt with a white sting face paint on in the front yeah. right. Yeah, that that was me. Yeah, <laughs> Kevin, and look, also, we- I just want to mention at one point. 
Dusty Rhodes goes on a rant about stomping a mud hole. Mud hole. And yep. they all lose it and Brain calls him the director of mud holes. And Tony <laughs> Schiavone wants none of it, which is my favorite part of these WCW shows. Brain and Dusty are having such a great time. And Tony Schiavone is the biggest wet blanket ever. He just never yeah. wants to play along. I, I, I dream to be as great as Dusty Rhodes as a color commentator. And, and, I, and, and so I had the same thing, director of Mudholes. And, and I was hearing it in real time. He was going, Mudhole, stop, Mudhole, stop. And then, but I, I would tend to be the Heenan who would go, oh, you're the director of Mudholes. <laughs> and, 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 I mean, that, that's why I'm so thankful because those two guys were absolutely magnificent all the way through. And it's the, it's the particular use of the English language that Dusty has. You know, later on in the Texas Tornado match where he talks about plunder, which he's mm. referring to all the various implements that we'll cover. Who else in the world would describe the uh, the illegal objects that you bring out to the ring as plunder? Yeah, well, it's Nick, so good. Dusty in this match drops one of your favourite Dustyisms when there's a low blow. He of course refers to in that the being vitals. In the vitals, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it is my it, it's it, it's the best part i love about that era dusty Rhodes is he even refer, constantly referring to someone's genitals as his vitals and always referring to woman where every time she comes up with the horseman as the devilish woman <laughs> <laughs> but uh look getting back to the match it was it was some pretty cool uh, little sequences too there's a part where eddie and dean use each other's finishes mm. and uh and they and one cool little bit of storytelling, like it does sound like we're taking the P one double five out of Dusty, but really, like there are bits where he's like he's lamenting to Dean Malenka's like, "Why are you showboating? You should have pinned him and do all this sort of stuff." We then see Six come out to steal the US Championship. Uh, now, at this point in time, Six has got a constant thing about stealing title belts from other superstars. He comes out to steal the US title belt. Malenko then there's a bit of a brouhaha with him and Eddie the camera the video camera the JVC video camera that looks like it was given away off an episode of uh, Australia's Funniest Home Video Show by Kim Kilby back in 94 he throws the he accidentally throws the camera into the ring Dean picks it up takes out Eddie with the video camera and then wins the match gets a bit convoluted at the end then Eddie Eddie's laid out completely cold Dean Malenko then tries to film him it's just a a weird Secrets afterwards. What was Dean's obsession with the handicap? You've won. You've got the belt. The ref's trying to give him the belt and he's fondling this handicap. It must have been, that must have been the most cutting edge camera in 97. Mm. And he was just in awe of it. And he kept looking at it like, is this thing working? He'd sort of film and then look it back. And again, it shows the, the, the times move on because as a form of plunder, no one would have one of those cameras yeah. anymore. And I mean, you can't wreak as much damage with an iPhone, can you? No, <laughs> no you certainly can't. All right, Simon, what were your initial thoughts of uh, the opening match? Yeah, no, I thought it was good. Not too much to add. These guys have great chemistry going back to ECW. Two of the best we've seen uh, in this era. Anytime either guy's in a match, it's good. This was no exception. And yeah, sort of depending on how much you can handle the cutaways to the NWO is sort of how much you're going to enjoy this match. But I liked it. And ending with, you know, Six tying it all in with them. He's been in a feud for months. And Six is like the skeeviest guy. You would never have expected it when he was the one, two, three kid that he'd become this. Like, I steal belts and I film things that I shouldn't. Like, that was his character. <laughs> the Hamburglar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it was good. I liked it. 
yeah, it, it turned out to be a pretty good opener. And and let's face it, 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 at this point in time, this is the sort of stuff that you expect from WCW. You need the NWO shenanigans. You need the cruiserweight. So it all tied up pretty good. Speaking of uh, this era at WCW, something else that was an absolute staple was the Mean Gene segment. And the, the thing I absolutely loved, first off, he's, he's going for the plug of like, you know, a WCW superstar has left. Who was it? Call the hotline and find out. One dollar fifty nine a minute, like that is crazy. Back in nineteen ninety seven. Did you notice? Just quickly, sorry. Is that when he announced that phone line and said, "Who's gone?" Call the phone line to find out. I think I did it like twice in the show. Hmm. Both times they immediately told you who had just left and why. <laughs> Both times immediately he goes, "Oh, anyways, moving on." Stein has been taken to hospital. Like you. What's the point of the phone line? That was, I, I thought that was, it was really ambiguous, wasn't it? Like, you know, call now and you find out which superstar is out of here who's gone. And we'd already seen Steiner was eliminated. Mm. But there was the ambiguity that he might be referring to another superstar. Oh. But that is just too subtle, I think. No, too subtle. And, you know, um, and, and of course, kids, please ask your parents. Parents permission. And, and, I, and I love that they stamped over that this phone number is no longer active because i was actually reaching for the phone um but i couldn't quite work out what the numbers were behind it but uh it, it, yeah, beautiful sign of the times and uh you know it's like uh lisa simpson ringing Corey, right yeah so simon you we've always loved these little mean gene segments there are uh, mvps of these wcw pay-per-views what do you think of the uh the another rowdy roddy piper crazy promo this one was tame compared to the other ones we've seen like he had a point he was speaking proper english for the most part i liked his whole thing about like he is metal he eats metal he's hips i thought it was just great piper just craziness it was good and seriously benoit being in this promo made mongo seem better than he was because seriously it's not rewriting history chris benoit might be the least charismatic and interesting wrestler ever i think his in-ring work obviously did him a lot of favors and we sort of look back at his in-ring work nothing else as like being good but he literally had nothing else going for him when you look at that yeah, yeah, you're pretty spot on there. And the no. the Mongo promo in itself, I'll I'll start with you, Chris, because um, this would have been a fun little dichotomy going from uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper, which we kind of all know and remember. Oh yeah, he had some pretty out there promos, but you you forget the Mongo aspect of uh, WCW, don't you? I gotta be honest, Steve McMichael. I pretty much forgotten who he was <laughs> to be to, to be honest. And and um, Piper is one of the key tropes that got me into wrestling. And I'm actually reading his, well, it's not actually his autobiography. It's it's his life story that he was commencing to write and then his two kids wrote it because he died. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have um, had the opportunity to read that, but it's it's absolutely fascinating. And and you think about the quality of promo because I, I've got nothing to say about Mongo and just endless <laughs> admiration for Piper. At one stage, he was in a promotion where the brother of the main promoter was c- controlling a certain area. And Piper's shtick was he'd come out with the bagpipes and he'd start playing the national anthem of the country that he was in well. And then he'd start to stretch the notes, scuzz it up, and, and then start playing it really, really badly, which, of course, the crowd would go crazy. He's getting all this heat. And this promoter, who was a complete idiot, apparently, in one match, jumped up and grabbed the mic and said, hey, listen, guys, you can't play the bagpipes. I can't play the bagpipes. Just get off his case. He's doing his best. 
genuinely thinking that Roddy was trying to play it well but couldn't and not understanding <laughs> the concept of it. And, and uh, uh, any time, again, I was so thankful you guys selected this. Anytime I get to see Roddy's work, I, he's, he's a huge reason why I love professional wrestling. It's just, mm. He's amazing. He's also, I didn't yeah, answer he's... the question, did I? No. No, no, no. Just like no, but... Mongo, he didn't yeah. answer the question either. I think yeah. Roddy threw to him and said, "Tell us what you think about what I'm talking about." He just went Luger, like just completely changed the subject. <laughs> Total package. Yeah, you, you're right. That like it, you do forget like getting Rowdy Roddy Piper in WCW at this point in time too, especially when the NWO is such a juggernaut. We saw how much of an impact he had at Starcade 96. Just the mere fact they were able to set up a main event at another pay per view by a 20 minute segment in a previous pay-per-view is questionable, but still showed this, the star pal, uh, value that, um, that Rowdy Roddy Piper had. And I did love in Roddy's initial thing. It's just like, Hey, remember when we main evented WrestleMania together, you know, in another company 10 years ago, <laughs> that's the, that's the basis of the feud here. But yeah, look, it was everything you expect from a crazy mean gene segment uh, featuring those guys there but we'll get on to the next match which is ultimo dragon still called ultimate dragon as well taking on psychosis and the part that really stood out for me is i love bobby heenan's fascination with sunny ono with a digital camera and rose this part was awesome too because it i don't know if you got that undercurrent of well it's because he's japanese and it's advanced technology that was thrown out there yeah, this was a this was a classic mid nineties Japanese tourist uh, gimmick he had going on here, where he was taking photos of everything and having a great time. Uh, I'm a huge fan. I thought I thought Sonny Ono was great in this whole match, and uh, I particularly loved the bit where they come out with Ultimo Dragon, who just looks magnificent. Ultimo Dragon's outfit is just gorgeous, and the pyro goes off, and they both jump like, oh, they weren't ready for that. <laughs> And then they take a selfie in front of it. Is that the earliest selfie? Like that's, this is 1997 and they took a selfie in their entrance. That's got to be the earliest one I've seen. The best part Ono, inventor of the selfie. The best part about it though, the best part of the entire like digital camera scenario is like in commentary, like, and you can see the photos later on Uh, (laughs) WCWWrestling.com. Like (laughs) the earliest form of sharing on uh, digital photos. Yeah. It was WCW, not you Zuckerberg, that, uh, or Tom from MySpace. So Sonny Sonny Ono Ono. invented the selfie and Instagram. (laughs) 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 But, uh, but Simon, we've, we've often spoke about how like, you know, you have the hit and miss cruiserweight matches where they try to inflict a little bit of the WCW storytelling into what is essentially two people that can't quite communicate in great English, but know how to wrestle really well. How do you think that this match sort of went? Because I, I thought it was pretty pedestrian. Yeah, I thought it was okay. I kind of enjoyed it just because of like, I, for whatever reason, I remember these guys wrestling everybody else, but I couldn't remember them wrestling each other. So seeing it was fun. It was like, oh, psychosis and Ultimo Dragon. And it was just a reminder of how great WCW's roster was at the time when you can have two matches back-to-back, Guerrero versus Malenko, Psychosis versus Ultimo, and not even care about either of them from a promotion standpoint. They were like, yeah, we can just put these on and whatever, we've got a whole pay-per-view to go. Um, Before I move into the match, though, I feel like, Rose, you were probably going to mention what I wanted to mention at the end of that Mean Gene promo. Are we talking about the way the lady and the only woman in the entire promo was treated? Yes, because I was thinking about it and taking notes during the entrances. So Mean Gene was like, oh, and Miss Deborah, I wanted to speak to you, but we ran out of time. 
And then Tony Schiavone, who is a bit of a creep sometimes, says, well, Gene, we don't have to talk to her. We just have to look at her sometimes. Mm. And it was oh like, God my damn. God, dude, I... I couldn't believe what I heard. Like I had, I literally, that was the only part of the show I rewinded. I'm like, I have yep. to hear that again just to be sure that that's exactly what he said. Man, that's dated. Like that was. That Tony was Schiavone, I feel like when we all stopped watching WCW when it ended, we all hated him. We were like, he's the worst commentator because WWE told us he was. Then about <laughs> five years ago, everyone's opinion changed. And it was like, Tony Schiavone was really good, actually. Very underrated. Now that I've been doing this show again, as the months go by, I'm starting to remember why we all hated him by the end of WCW. <laughs> but, yeah. but no one would have noticed. I mean, you, you think about all the yeah. controversy locally about the revisionist uh, uh, yeah. history around Hey Hey It's Saturday. You know, cutting edge comedy is time and you can now pick it apart. Yeah. But it absolutely stood out. Just, just from the physical arrangement that Deborah was, you know, to the left and at the back <laughs> type, of, type of thing. Yeah. Uh, you talk about Chivoni, though. I mean, uh, they brought in Mike Tanay as another play-by-play uh, during the Ultimo Dragon psychosis match. And I actually took a, a big note of that. And I've actually contacted PWA. So you can actually bring in another play-by-play no. commentator during a show. It's <laughs> no. a really nice change-up. I really no. like that aspect of it. Stop, stop trying to make me lose my job. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, look, it, 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 uh, this was, like I said, it wasn't a bad match by any means, but it's not like, you know, you're not going to hunt this down like Eddie versus um, Rey Mysterio from Halloween Havoc 97. Like, it's not mm. one of those matches where it's just like, that. when the biggest thing that you bring up out of this match is that Sonny Ono had a digital camera as a great talking point. Yeah. I think it sort of says enough about that. But let's... Yeah. Um, Can I just add, oh, he also has a hell of a roundhouse kick. Oh, my Sonny God. Sonny Ono has it. He well, he was a legitimate martial artist. Yeah, he was. That was. A, a, I think he actually literally did kick one of Psychosis's horns off. <laughs> and I think one of the commentators said that he kicked it straight. Um, but uh, I, I, one little thing I want to add about this match, which was starting to seep in from the first match to this one, is on a personal level, when I commentate, I want every match to feel like that's the most important thing that's happening in that moment. And this was two matches in a row now where God love Dusty and the commentary team, they were not focusing on the match like you could have made ultimo dragon versus psychosis way more important if even if the viewers had no idea who they were you could have just sold them these are two these two guys have done this around the world and this is a a dream match for some people you know they just it felt like they were just the whole show was about the main event and there was just a lot of glossing over stuff that could have been a lot more exciting if the commentary team focused a little bit but that's just how i felt We've we found that this is a very common thing. Like it's almost like the entire three hours of a WC pay WCW pay per view is to sell that NWO main event. And even actually during NWO sold out, that seemed to be the only time that there was any balance. But even then, it was just promoting how much WCW sucks for the entire thing. So it was an interesting game plan there. Anything did anything really stand out for you guys in this match? Because like I said, I thought it was fairly pedestrian simon was did you pick any highlights that weren't digital camera related um well i mean like rose said sunny ono spin kick put alistair black's black mass to shame even like it was amazing um honestly it was dusty ranting about training in tijuana and driving rickshaws or whatever like he just went back to that so They did cool moves. Psychosis almost broke his leg on a leg drop to the outside. That was probably mm. the highlight. Um, mm. Ultimo Dragon did the handspring elbow 
from one side of the entrance barrier to the other, which that was cool. I've never seen him do that before, like just outside of the ring. But yeah, I don't know. It's all about Tijuana and rickshaws for this match. <laughs> yeah, we're sort of mixing your stereotyping, wasn't it? Yeah, rickshaws in Mexico. Is that right? You know. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost it's almost like they just went you know geographically well you got, you've got a an Asian man and a uh, and a uh, a luchador in there the hell with it I'm just lump them together who cares yeah. if, if, if we're talking racism why not just make one that Venn diagram a giant circle <laughs> and that was actually kind of my comment on the match was you 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 actually have expectations of the styles of the two wrestlers and 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 they and it wasn't very distinct. You know, and uh, no wonder Dusty was getting confused about you know where to apply what stereotype. That's what I mean. It was just it was just really pedestrian for me. Like you know that those guys can do so well. And Rose, any final thoughts on uh, that match? Uh, I th- I think uh, Simon summed it up perfectly. It was there was some cool moves. That was I think that's a beautiful summation of that match. There was some cool moves, and uh, it's two guys that you look back on and go, man, this is a sick match. But um, it, it, no one felt really engaged in the crowd and the commentary team didn't feel really engaged, but there's a lot of things we talked about so far that, that, that can be summed up. Even that bad line after the promo, that can all be summed up by bad organization. No one knows what's going on. No one knows who to interview and when to cut back to stuff. And because of that, people are suffering for it. And it, it just, it's very uncensored to the point that it's maybe uh, unkempt. <laughs> unkempt 1997. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. Uh, look forward to that one. All right. Our next segment is back to mean gene. And you can see why we absolutely champion the mean gene segments here. Now, once again, he plugs the hotline as he always does. And we see DDP here. So when we started doing this at Bash of the Beach 1996, we mentioned how like we're seeing the, the metamorphosis of DDP into the DDP we all remember from back in the day. But uh, we, we, we established this is full DDP here. He's turned his back on the NWO and now he's a full-fledged team WCW type of guy. What do you think about him, this little promo and his interaction with Macho Man? I thought this was great. Yeah, this this is the real DDP. He's got that classic T-shirt on. He's ditched the sunglasses and the cigar, which were like holdovers from him being a heel. To me, my brain, this is the DDP I remember. Cuts a great even promo. Shirt. What's that? He's even got the same shirt. Yeah, that's it. Like, this is mm. the shirt. This is the DDP. Um, and he's going into the feud with Macho Man, which really puts him on the map. And he drops a line, which I still remember. Um, I feel like they just use it in a lot of replays. He says, Macho, if you're that much of a savage, then snap into this. Which is one of those like great wrestling insults that means everything and nothing at the same time. You're like, yeah. And then you're like, what? But it works. <laughs> well, Chris, we'll go with you here because like, so now the, the big part of this is Macho Man. And it's very like, outside the box sort of promo here because Macho Man is really insulting DDP because it's like, no, man, I really respect you. Look at this. Here's your wife completely naked in a Playboy. Check it out, man. No props to you, dude. And DDP reacts so perfectly. Like this is a great match uh, between in terms of a feud, like Macho Man and DDP, you wouldn't think complemented each other, but they do so well. Look, it was outstanding. And again, I am just, such a Mean Gene Oakland fan for the way he understatedly sort of conducts what's going on, sort of like he's a conductor of an orchestra and you've got these two great protagonists in you. And the sort of the, 
the 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 it's all kinds of wrong, isn't it? Like DDP sort of kind of like he's got feigned horror and shame about the fact that Macho Man's got the Playboy nude centerfolds uh, June '96. I think I might have the issue, and um, <laughs> and and probably now he'd go look. You know, she's just comfortable with the sexuality and she's happy to do that, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But it's kind of like it's it's almost like I've been trying to keep this secret. Yeah, it's in a magazine, man, publicly available in a news agent. <laughs> But it was enough to get him going. And then and when Elizabeth's involved, I'm always interested. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The logic is slightly off in the feud. Like, I get why DDP is yeah. annoyed because Macho's being, like, you know, a dick about it. But yeah. if you look closely, if you haven't actually seen those photos, DDP's in those photos he's in with them. Kimberly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he's yeah. like, how this dare is, you? <laughs> it's weird. Did you love the spray can censorship? Yeah, on the yeah. Photos, and then the, I think there was a great commentary line. They 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 covered over the naughty bits with NWA spray paint. One of the commentaries the commentary goes, "They've defaced that magazine." <laughs> yeah, and uh, I love it because this is a classic idea of look. We should probably promote your wife's spread on the magazine. Um, uh, let's put it in the feud somehow. Okay, I'll put it as an insult to you as a personal insult. Again. WCW ahead of the time. Is Macho Man insinuating that DDP's a cuck? Is that what he's saying? Yeah. <laughs> Again, they're ahead of their time. Yeah, so it, it it felt like a good idea on paper, but when you you know put it out there, um, the logic didn't quite make sense. But man, Macho and DDP totally made up for it just for their character and to see it. Evil Elizabeth. Oh, that's mm. that's mm. got to be the best Elizabeth, right? Dark World Elizabeth two things that really stood out for me there first off is when um tony shivani referring to macho man attacking ddp from behind us him pearl harboring um (laughs) (laughs) it was just like oh no tony tony Tony." all right fair enough Atlanta-based wrestling company? Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. That makes sense, I guess. And the other one too, like you mentioned, Rose, like this this mega heel Elizabeth to the point where she's like, hey, do you mind if I spray paint her? And I'm like, Macho Man's like, yeah, this sounds like a great idea. But yeah, this was a phenomenal uh, segment here. Absolutely loved it. Unfortunately, it then leads into something that I didn't really love too much, which is a WCW martial arts match. No one yeah. explains the difference what a martial arts match is, though. Which is strange. This is also the debut of Mortis. And he comes out with James Vandenberg. Glacier, where, as is famously, as we all know, is the um, wrestler that was based on Sub-Zero from Mortal Kombat. And this is just this is just real WCW silliness. That's the best way I could sort of describe it. And Chris, what were your thoughts on this one too? Because to me, also this match, having Mortis in green, uh, Glacier in blue, it just looked like, you know, like Mortal Kombat 2 Reptile versus Sub-Zero. I couldn't agree more. And in fact, you, you gentlemen all know a lot more about the game than I do. So I had a question. Could you explain to me what the rules are in a martial arts match? That's because <laughs> I, I couldn't discern anything uh, being in play that was different or a different form of uh, victory was at, at the stake, you know. Uh, so I was, uh, I was confused. I would certainly put this... As the Nadir of the evening, I found this the least interesting, exciting show. I thought the sledge that maybe Vandenberg put on Glacier that was mentioned by, I think maybe Dusty, that he's a slow, a Glacier is a slow moving block of ice. That would be my general reaction to that as a wrestler name that you've gone <laughs> Glacier. I've been on Glaciers. It doesn't instill great fear. I tell you what, the biggest takeaway I got from this match 
was at one point when they're um, outside the ring, I started to get conscious that they call that metal fence a safety rail. Right? <laughs> and, and, and that looks like the so least safe thing for competitors and spectators in terms of a barrier that I've seen on offer in wrestling matches. It just mm. seemed so unsafe. But no, I I, uh, I put the highlight actually was, uh, I think even the commentators are a little bit bored and dust. He says, I need to get myself a copy of that magazine referring to Preferably one that isn't defaced. That's right. Uh, Rose, what did you think of this uh, this wonderful uh, foray into WCW silliness between Mortis and, um, and Glacier? Well, Nims, I called these two guys psychopaths at the beginning of the show. Maybe I'm the psychopath because I loved this match i had so much fun in this match and i'll tell you why because it took me straight back to where i was at this time year Mm. seven i loved mortal Kombat, and i remember i remember the first time i saw wcw because i was a diehard wwf kid and i was in like a like a hardware store or something in my local area and i walked in and in the hardware store on one of the shelves he had one of those tiny little tvs that shops used to have and mm-hmm. on it, Glacier was walking to the ring. So for me, I was like, wait, there's another wrestling company and Sub-Zero's in it? <laughs> yeah. like, I, teenage me freaked out at that. And I, I found WCW and that's when I got into, that's the first time I realized there's this whole world of wrestling, not just mm-hmm. this one show I watch on TV. And Glacier was weirdly my access to that. So watching this, firstly, he's got Sting's snow. Like Sting's got yep. the snow now. He's, he's, he's handed it off to Sting. <laughs> Um, I just, you know, like at first I was, I thought it was Jane. I keep calling him James Van Der Beek, but the, the manager is not here. James Vandenberg. No, Vandenberg. James Vandenberg. Party five. Party five. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, he was, he was hot in 97. That would have been a great manager for Mortis. But um, well, like they're different guys, right? Okay. <laughs> uh, I liked how they described the manager as a man who likes to con- collect strange things. Yeah. I thought that was a really great introduction to someone who just brings out this monster. Um, I think the only thing I can get out of it being a martial arts match is that you have to, for the first two minutes, just stand square to the camera and fight like in 2D, <laughs> like you would in a little oh. back. It definitely felt like a decision they made in the first two minutes to not hit the ropes camera side and just stay you know, kicking and punching each other, almost like it was a Mortal Kombat game. And then they kind of just gave up after two minutes mm. and started doing a normal wrestling match. But the child in me was going crazy during this match because <laughs> I remember how much I would have loved that in year seven. Two minutes of being very generous that they actually did that because it seemed like, like let's just drop it. Do you want to just have a wrestling match, Mortis? Yeah, let's go with that one too. Yeah, uh, I probably Simon, am being generous. <laughs> Simon, what did you think? Well, I actually enjoyed this too because there was just so much going on that was worth taking note of. Um, like Rose said, the martial arts fight at the start of the match. One bit I really love because WCW has a smaller ring, they could pull this off. Glacier does a kick to Mortis's chest in place of uh, an Irish whip. He kicks him into the rope to bounce him off. I thought that was really cool. I've never seen it before. And then another thing I made note of, speaking of like giving up on the martial arts thing, Paul Mortis gives up on his gimmick within 30 seconds of the match because (laughs) for those who don't know, that's Chris Canyon. So he's Mortis and they're like, oh, from the depths of hell, it's Mortis. The bell rings and the mic picks it up. He's like, Hey, yo, I'm gonna kick your ass with his New Jersey accent. It's like, all right, Dan, you could you could at least hold this up for a bit longer. Because his face was burned. His face was burned. I kept saying his face was burned, but he could still talk like one of the Sopranos. And then another great bit. 
Brain is trying to put over Glacier, and and I appreciate the effort where he's like, Glacier is a big man to move. He's six six or six seven, and probably two eighty. And I'm very picky about this height and weight thing because obviously they blow it out of proportion. But I looked it up. Glacier is six two and 240 that is the the biggest i could find in builders and poor brain is saying he's six eight and 280 no not buying it and then one more thing because geez i took a lot of notes on this dumb match tony shivani at one point calls a kick a back leg front kick which is some eric bischoff bs only mm. bischoff would call a move like that and i hate it so much because what is a back leg front kick and look one other thing that i found really amusing so glacier gets the win he keeps his win streak uh, continuing in wcw and then it, we see the debut of wrath now wrath obviously was adam bomb back in the wwf the bit that always stood out for me and i know we we i shouldn't be nitpicky so much but the line from bobby the brain heaton i've never seen this man before i have no idea who it is it's like what do you come on, mate? We know who you are, Brian. We have eyes. Mm, mm. So, so should I because I don't think we went back again to Mean Gene promoing the the call because I probably get no calls, right? But shouldn't it have been because they go, who is this guy? Third man in. Shouldn't have that been the line? So you could ring the hotline and find out actually who this third man in was. <laughs> That's a great idea. And, and by the way, I mean we've got Mister Freeze. We've had Captain Cold. <laughs> He comes up with Glacier. I mean, what, Blizzard? Some, there was already someone called Blizzard? I mean, you know, I just I just don't think they thought it through enough. Mm. Blizzard sounds like uh, one of the gladiators from that TV show that would have been around at that time. <laughs> yeah. Vulcan. yeah, Vulcan and Blizzard were really doing a lot of damage that season. Um, so they had to go with Glacier. Ugh. Look, this was... Uh, Glacier, actually, funnily enough, I'm pretty sure was a uh, gladiator back in uh, on that little... Really? On that show with Mike Whitney and... Um, he probably knows Blizzard intimately then. They work <laughs> yeah. together. What what sort of journey did uh, Glacier have subsequently? What sort of career did he have? Are we talking about the gladiator or the wrestler? No, the wrestler. <laughs> I think he... Didn't they delve into the... They really just steered into the comedy aspect once he had his first loss and it was just like... Well, he can't actually freeze anyone, so... Uh, so he just yeah. melted away. Yeah. And then I think nostalgia did him a lot of favours because he showed mm. up at, uh, I think, All In with Cody Rhodes. Like, there was this yes. whole, like, oh, actually, Glacier mm. was awesome sort of rewriting of people's well, memories. Well, to be fair, he actually was a very a fairly competent wrestler. Like, he could hold oh. his own. It's just hard to be a good wrestler when you're saddled with a really bad gimmick that's, hey, you know Sub-Zero? Like, we don't know any backstory. It's just, you look like Sub-Zero. Yeah. It's nothing like he's a former assassin or something like that. Well, just, you look like Sub-Zero. That's WCW 97 ahead of the curve again. They created a meme. Look at that. They're creating yes. memes. Oh, they're amazing. <laughs> They're just so in front of the curve that we're like, which is why in 2021, we're still talking about them, I guess. But yeah. hey, then we look at the next segment, which is the Steiner's car accident. This is footage of the NWO running them off the road, which is a sentence that is actually true here. <laughs> so we'll, we'll paint the picture as black and white footage because that's all the NWO seem to uh, mm -hmm. operate in. They they give this to their, they're on a country road, they they give the Steiners a tap, send them forward. Then they have a real Dukes of Hazard style car chase. The Steiners fully flip the car, everything like that. Scott Hall and the best part is Scott Hall playing this in character. He's just like, did anyone see? I don't know. Let's get out of here. Yeah. Despite the fact it's being played on a pay-per-view. But the line that always stood out for me is that 
when Tony Schiavone is asked, like, you know, they could, they should be charged and they must be charged. But Scott Steiner said, we want to settle this in the ring. Now, could you imagine, Rose, the amount of, of amount of like insurance claims that would just mm-hmm. be thrown out the window if it was just, no, no, we'll just settle it in the ring. Yeah, well, I, I always say this to people that my dream world is a universe where we can just settle everything in a ring. Like, <laughs> you you owe me 20 bucks. No, I don't. Let's settle this in a ring. That's, I mean, just a, think of a world where all the world's problems could just be sorted out in a 30-minute time limit, no DQ match in a ring somewhere. Like, it'd be like Hunger Games. The whole world just worships <laughs> this ring that solves all problems. I, I, I think about that sometimes. And I, I always respect when someone's willing to go above and beyond legal matters and want to settle something in a wrestling match. I just, yeah. I always respect that. It's, we, a, it's we, always one of those things where it's just, it's a little bit like, you know, like, no, your honor, I, I, I like to present the footage. Have you seen Uncensored 1997? <laughs> well, I'll have you know. It's <laughs> like, oh, sorry, guys. <laughs> Adjourned. Hey, dismissed. Case dismissed. I mean, yeah. So, our big roadside authority insurance group, NRMA, up in New South Wales, is a different name in Victoria? No, it's still at NRMA, NRMA right, right. down here. Yeah. I know a couple of people there. <laughs> I, you know, they're always talking about, you know, we're innovative, mm. we're looking for new ways to service mm. their customers. Yeah. This is a whole new opportunity is there any way that we can sort out a dispute by a small package (laughs) yeah exactly imagine how much more fun waiting at the rta would be if there's a (laughs) ring in the reception and people are just sorting out their car disputes get judge judy in as a rep that is (laughs) awesome i think we just made a team a hit tv show guys (laughs) (laughs) simon any final thoughts on uh on the ring (laughs) <laughs> on the NWO's vehicle homicide. The only thought about this that I have, I love the segment, but I swear on the last pay-per-view we watched, Tony Schiavone said, we will never show that footage on WCW because it was too <laughs> horrific. One month later, they're like, here it is again. <laughs> you know? yeah, it's Simon. Uncensored. It's uncensored. <laughs> oh, there we go. There you go. There you go. So we, we roll on into our next match, which is the American males exploding... Uh, which the bit that the two things that made me pop one, I love that um, Buff Bagwell is clearly the the wrestler in WCW outside of Hall Nash and Hogan that benefited from joining the NWO because yeah. this guy doesn't have a career without the NWO. And secondly, Scotty Riggs comes out still to the American Males music. Mm. He was doomed uh, from that point. Buff got to join the NWO and come up with like new catchphrases. Riggs being stuck with that music killed him because he seems like he had a lot of potential and talent, but that theme song ruins it. I, I look, I didn't really mind this as a match. It was fairly inoffensive. And I think we all like now the internet and message boards and Twitter are very unkind to like buff Bagwell, but like he was one of my favorites in WCW growing up. I loved him. And this was just like, I, this was actually now, Chris, I might side with you here, but I actually really love this match. Yeah, I really enjoyed it as well, Nick. First of all, Buff Bagwell, very handsome dude. Like, mm. very handsome. Well, he's the stuff. Yeah. 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 Great point. And, <laughs> and uh, I thought there was a lot to take away from this match. If nothing else, the uh, uh, the great involvement of referee Randy Anderson, where he sort of became a third competitor there at one stage. But one of the things, I guess, from a commentary perspective that I was interested in was Buff was choosing to do a lot of sort of in-ring promo to camera during the match. And the commentators kept talking over the top of him. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we're always really conscious of trying not to do when there's a ring announcement or a wrestler. 
And, you know, as far as uh, Dusty and, and Bobby were concerned, they're more interesting than anything that Papa's got to say. <laughs> and they kept going. And, they, and, and it pretty much was a one-way uh, affair, though. At one stage, Scotty was trying to haul Buff around and got him to three turnbuckles. But he, he did have that brief moment where it was going well. And Dusty described that. And he said, so that's pretty good if you're a Riggs fan. And, and the suggestion was there are not many Riggs fans out there. <laughs> <laughs> Rose, what did you think of this one? Well, this... Uh... Guys, I'm sorry to say was the, the weakest point of the show for me, not because of the wrestling or the match or anything, it's because our, our new puppy decided to do a big poo on the rug right in front of me <laughs> while I was watching this match, um, which he likes to do. He felt like he hadn't had enough attention in the first He's a rig fan. He was upset. Yeah, well, I mean, he, he just saw how... Yeah. He, <laughs> He saw how engaged I was for Glacier and Mortis or whatever his name was and got jealous. So anyways, he did this right at the beginning of the match. So I spent a lot of this match cleaning up the mess. So I was listening to this match and not necessarily watching a lot of the action. So what I got out of this match is that Buff Bagwell thinks he's really good because there was a lot of, oh, I look good into the camera. Mm. Like he's, he's constantly- <laughs> look good. He does look good. I'm not going to lie. You've got to look that way to be able to walk around and do that. And I respect it. So there was a lot of that. And then then every now and then I just hear this whack. And one of the commentators would go, wow, that stung. That that looked like it really stung. It sounded like there was some vicious shots in this match. Yeah, it, it, it was like, it was, and I guess too, like when you do have former tag team partners that, uh, you know, quote unquote explode, you're always like, it's a built-in story. So you, you're going to have to try really hard to mess up this match. But uh, Simon, you, you, we always lament the, like, you want to talk about someone that when, if you want to, if there wasn't the Rockers, I think everyone would refer to the less successful tag team partner as Scotty Riggsing it, as opposed to being the Marty Jannetty, because that's how much in his uh, dust Scotty Riggs was after um, Bagwell joined the NWO. Yeah, and it's a real shame because looking back at it, this is one of the the weird sort of acts that I'd never really noticed. But Scotty Riggs felt like he should have been more. You watch him in this match. He looks like a million bucks. His wrestling yeah. is good. There's no reason why he shouldn't have been more than this. But again, the Rockers effect. He kept the music, kept the look, kept everything else while the other guy got to do something completely new. You can't compete with that. Um, in this match, though, at one point, and this is why Buff made it further because of his personality, he picks up Riggs, who is selling like he's, he's dead, and he makes Riggs clap and do the American males <laughs> clap weekend at Bernie style. And the crowd pops big for it. It's like, well, yeah, Buff's the man. And and the whole speaking to the camera thing, that always felt like Buff just doing it on his own because when he got to the WWE, they told him not to do it. And we don't do that here. But that was Buff's thing. Who else was narrating to the camera and breaking the fourth wall? It was like Malcolm in the middle. Buff would just stop yeah. and like talk to the camera the yeah. best bit in this match too is when Randy Anderson like pushes Buff and tells him off in the corner. Buff's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But then he looks up to the camera and says, I'm not really sorry. It's like, that's <laughs> brilliant. I, I always thought the WCW when I was, I mean, I you saw a lot more of WWF at the time, but, and it seems like an odd word, but I thought they did the intimacy side of covering wrestling a little bit better. The sort of the, the real intense close-ups and all that sort of thing which was a real point of difference, which I guess was conscious and I thought was actually good value. And I think that's the exact, exact example of what you're talking about, Simon. Yeah. Yeah, look, 
all all in all, this was like we really see like you know everyone can can absolutely just uh, have retroactive history, but Buff Bagwell in the NWO is probably one of the big success stories off the NWO. Something that we're not going to absolutely retroactively praise, I feel, is these NWO promos in black and white. They're just the most rambling, incoherent promos. I know we look back fondly on them, just like, oh, how good they were cutting edge, but what the hell is going on in this promo? Did anyone sort of figure out what happened, Rose? Yeah. Like, what, no, what on please, earth? Please, Simon, explain to me what happened in this promo, please. <laughs> Look, I, I just want to say, I know what you mean, Nims, and I feel like they ran into the issue here because normally these promos we remember are multiple takes and they're edited together with edited sound together, yeah. Some idiot thought, hey, guys, I'm just going to roll the camera live and just do it in one take. And mm-hmm. each guy was just saying either random outdated catchphrases or just weird insider references that nobody would get because at one point hogan says work the angle and savage says is this a rib this has to be the first time those phrases were like said on a wrestling show and it's like what are you guys doing this yeah yeah yeah, they were inside before it was cool you know before punk's pipe bomb but this yeah i don't know what was going on well, this is, again, it's just emblematic of the how the entire show was structured. I swear everyone in this show showed up to the building that day not knowing what was going to happen. And they <laughs> mm. just said, okay, we're going to do this match, your, your first match, your second match. Uh, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. Okay, the promos. All right, okay, we'll just get all four people in this group and we'll just work system. Each of you say something. All right, okay, all right, all right, get NWO in front of a thing. We'll do a black and white. Each of you say something. Okay, yeah. well, what am I going to say? Well, that's up to you or whatever. Like, you know, we don't, I don't that's time. Like- it's like, like, hey, you're the creative one. You figure it out. <laughs> kind of yeah, 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 yeah. It says so in your contract right here. <laughs> there was one point where it felt like they all didn't know what to do. Their heads were going to explode because normally they would make fun of Piper for wearing a skirt. And all the NWO insults were, Piper, you're not a real man. You wear a skirt like a woman. And then mm. because Rodman's in the NWO and known for wearing skirts, at one point <laughs> they were like, uh what's Rodman wearing a dress and they were like wedding dress. but are we meant to say this is good or bad and they didn't know what to do it is the 90s and there are a lot of dance tracks that had random audio samples thrown together so that was probably what that promo was channeling I mean the, the Robert wedding dress reference of course was when he signed his you know turned up for his autobiography signing uh Got a bit to do with dance culture, and I think segueing in from the way that Buff Work Bagwell presents himself and his look in that particular match into that promo, I wrote down one word, and that was homoerotic. Mm. <laughs> and and that's pretty much what it's about, as far as I can see. <laughs> and and it's interesting, Simon, because again, you know, I just don't feel I've got the the deep enough perspective. But I noticed him say, "Is this a rib?" And I said, "Well, is that a thing that they would say that?" But you're saying that you think that was like unprecedented. It's got to be the first time anyone said it. I feel like Hogan was just rambling and he just went to inside. And the fact that they said, yeah, what a rib and work the angle. It was like, what? Mm. This is a genre shattering show. It's just <laughs> yeah. great. There's so much that was achieved. It's, it's uncensored again. <laughs> you also just spawned a great idea in my head. We need to start a dance music group called Homoerotic where we just make <laughs> dance music remixes of great wrestling promos. Just <laughs> done. That done. Sounds like That sounds awesome. There's a niche market there that's not being catered to, I can tell you. Hey, we yeah. then move on to a tornado tag match. It's Harlem Heat versus Public Enemy. This is another one with that bloody, that split screen, that stupid split screen. And this is a, a constant with Public Enemy matches. Look, I actually wouldn't mind 
uh, the split screen as much as as you guys sort of touched on. If it was the picture in picture, like the what whatever you're meant to focus on, put highlight that as opposed to the little uh, letterboxing a little bit. But the other thing that also really stood out about that stupid split screen for me is like the background. Like, why is it rotating so much? It was just mm-hmm. it's this this completely <laughs> ruined my. It was a cluster this match. Like everyone's getting involved. Sherry's getting involved too. Like it was just, I don't know what it is. It's it's the equivalent of uh, when you have all your friends around and you'd set Royal Rumble mode on on uh, WCW Revenge, and then the guy that didn't know how to play would always get thrown. It's like you're passing over controls. No, 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 you hang on. No, you hang on. What do you, what do we do here? It, I don't know what was going on in this match, and which sucks because I love Harlem Heat and they always generally like their matches the highlights on the card but public enemy ruin everything and rose <laughs> back me up here <laughs> yeah i um did the the first thing i got uh from this was did you did you guys notice that moment that public enemy had just before they got in the ring where they walked around the outside and then one of the dudes pulled his tag team partner's beanie off and he was like oi and like grabbed the beanie and put it back on his head like don't do that it was almost like two like it, it reminded me of that Zack Ryder moment at WrestleMania when he won the title and his dad put the cowboy and his dad hat. Puts like, the cowboy hat, yeah. Don't you're making me look stupid at WrestleMania. It was kind of like they had this weird moment. It felt like public enemy weren't getting along in their entrance. And I don't know if that played a factor, but this whole thing felt so awkward. And the commentators had to like bag them out first thing because they threw their weapons in the ring. And just got bashed with them. And the commentators <laughs> had to like kind of make fun of that. They were like, you don't, what was it? Someone said, you don't, you don't uh, uh, start up a chainsaw and then hand it to your opponent. It's it, <laughs> had to like just it was so disjointed. Yeah, it, it's an odd one. And Chris, you um you probably as you said, you kind of enjoyed this one. Did you get any enjoyment out of Harlem Heat versus Public Enemy? Booker T. You know, mm. you love you love to see you know, the genesis of a, of a, a long-term tremendous performer. Uh, I, I, you know, the expression, it's like when Fonzie jumped the shark, itself has now jumped the shark. <laughs> but I think that the, uh, the commentators just, it was, it was just sort of so out of shape and randomised and lunatic. They just started laughing. I mean, they, they, and, and I think it was kind of one of those meta moments they go, Look at our lives. Look where we are now. I mean, we love it, but this is absolutely ridiculous. And the biggest point of contention that came out of the entire match for me was whether it was a brownie pan or a baking pan. Because, you know, Shivani kept saying he's taking baking pan shots. And corrected, it's a brownie pan. It's definitely a brownie pan. And I have no desire ever to get in a ring under any circumstances, but I, I think I could take a brownie pan shot. I think I'd be all right with that. Uh, it, it was... Uh, Complete chaos, and again, as I said, uh, it increased my admiration for Dusty Rose, the reference to Plunder, and also when the toilet seat first appeared, for Dusty it was a commode lid. I mean, that's just so American. <laughs> it's just so yeah. good. And then they had an argument about which uh, of the split screens that he's talking about. They're like, oh, it's a commode lid. And then someone went, no, no, that's a brownie pan. And he went, no, no, the other screen, there's a commode in the ring. They, they were arguing over the split screen. And that's for Sister Sherry's garbage can work, which she kept out, kept taking out members of her own team. <laughs> that was, that was quite same. Well, Simon, any final thoughts? I have nothing really more to add to this match. It was an absolute <laughs> mess. 
I suppose the the thing you can take away is that this is the fun of the variety of WCW. They could have Guerrero and Malenko, Psychosis and Ultimo Dragon, two Mortal Kombat guys, two strippers fighting in a strap match, and then you can have this match. So I don't know. That's like maybe a good thing. But also, Rose, you were trying to say that Public Enemy may have been off because of, you know, the beanie controversy. No, Public Enemy are just garbage. No, no <laughs> act that we've gone back and watched has aged as badly as Public Enemy. The second they show up, you just cringe. The second they wrestle, you're like, what did we ever see in them? Yeah. They are the worst. Particularly when you get an expectation around, you know, arguably the finest group in hip-hop history having that brand name. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And you sort of go, well, it's kind of a denigration of the brand. But what, one other point of tension, I thought, because it was just a free-for-all from the get-go, if, you, if there was any orchestration to what they were doing, it was to make you forget about the the fact that at some point they will go to a table. Mm. Yeah. And of course, the commentators kept reminding us, and we haven't even seen the table involved yet. And I'm <laughs> don't remind anyone about that. <laughs> You're taking away their high points. Chris, so I, I, I like your reference about how uh, I, the wrestlers aren't very good when they emulate musicians. In saying that, I'm really excited for a Sting v Edge match somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I just to put one final bow on this tornado tag match. As I'm watching this match, and Simon, you are one hundred percent right that, that these guys have not aged well. But I am just sitting here. All I can think of as I'm watching this is just like I cannot wait till the acolytes stiff you when you guys go into the <laughs> WWF. <laughs> like that is all I was thinking. Public enemy, absolute garbage. Minus <laughs> five stars. That's the public enemy. <laughs> Yeah, where's JBL when you need him? Please, (laughs) murder these guys. Let's quickly touch on the next Mean Gene interview. Now, one thing I'll bring up, did anyone else get absolutely freaked out by seeing Scott Steiner looking the way that he did, but sounding like Big Popper Pump still? We'll start off with you, Simon. Yeah, this is like the the crossover period for Steiner. He kind of looks like old Steiner, but he's moving into Big Popper Pump. This may be the first promo of that style he's still terrifying though doesn't matter mm. what he looks like or what color his hair is he's a scary man and i thought this was the first decent steiner promo we've heard and you know it's a sign of things to come chris yeah look i again for me a bit of a history lesson to say you know to see the evolution there and uh i fondly remember when a big popper pump came out to australia and through uh, Fatty Borton over uh, the commentary panel desk. And uh, it, it's, it's, again, like I said about seeing uh, Booker T and Harlem Heat, you, you, you really want to understand and learn the history. So I felt that this was quite significant. I think Mean Gene's best contribution to this was when he just used the word scary. Like, <laughs> in one word, he conveys so much, you know. Mm. And uh, it was really, really exciting to see. and. Uh, Lex Luger almost doesn't look real to me. I mean, seriously, seriously, <laughs> who is that man? Yeah, I could, I couldn't focus on anything Steiner was saying because the whole time Lex was flexing his pecs, <laughs> and I just—he's just so greasy and like perfect, <laughs> and like it was so good. And also, my absolute highlight of this was uh, Paul, uh, Big Show or whatever, Giant. He, he talked very quietly. I have written that down too. Like it's Clear. just so like. 
softly spoken giant, just incredibly odd. It's almost like he, he, he it's, it reminded me of uh, Talladega Nights where Ricky Bobby does his first interview. And he's like, I, I don't quite know what to do with. <laughs> just... Again, ahead of their time, they're doing the Cena before Cena. I talk quietly, and then I'm going to beat you up. No, no, it's around the time, uh, you know, it was like doing a Nirvana track, you know, quiet, loud, quiet, uh, loud. Uh, there you go. Yeah. Luger, by the way, he's the Buddy Franklin of the WCW. <laughs> if you see Buddy Franklin live, he just glows with that oiled up arms. And mm. and, and, and I, I don't know who Luger's beautician is, but they've done a magnificent finishing job on it. it. That's a genius idea, Chris. Why didn't Nirvana ever get involved in WCW in the 90s? I mean, they would have just fit into this chaos oh, perfectly. Yeah. Perfectly. Going back on your, uh, like, I just had the mental image there of uh, Buddy Franklin doing like a piece to camera, constantly saying how the GWS have no honor. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 and Toby, they cut to Toby Green. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, he's scary. <laughs> but look, it was uh, it was the one final sell of the main event from me and Gene. He's covered all bases. Uh, I just I just love how in 1997 Lex Luger thinks the NWO they have no honor. They have no honor. Kids, they have no honor. You don't want to be like them. I love uh, his uh, promo because Lex Luger, yeah, went on the anti-establishment rant. And the thing we're learning about Lex Luger, not only was he the most over guy in WCW at the time. He's very well spoken and has a hell of a vocabulary that goes over the head of wrestling fans. Because yeah. in this promo, he talks about it's all about society and how the NWO has espoused their anti-establishment views. Wow. I had to Google what espoused actually means. Like I get the gist of it, but I was like, what does it really mean? It's like a few months ago when he said that the NWO is going to experience a thicket of things they've never seen before. Like, <laughs> Lex Luger's on another level. He should be teaching English somewhere. It's great. Yeah, yeah. He, he oh. definitely reads a dictionary on the drive to the next show. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, his, that's his book of choice. He's, he's the total package when it comes to word counts. <laughs> he's looking at that Playboy celebrity issue, but on the inside, yeah, it's just Webster's Dictionary. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. On the bus. he just he just reads it for the articles. <laughs> Oh, look, we then get to the match before the main event, which is Rey Mysterio versus Prince Ikea. Mike Tanay is back. And uh, look, this is a very odd match. It goes to a time limit draw. Then Ray wants to keep going and the match is restarted. I'm, I'm going to have a controversial statement here. Is this like probably one of the first ever times when someone realizes, hey, you know what? Maybe you can have a bad match with Rey Mysterio. Mm-hmm. Because I, the, well, first off, did we really need a repeat of this? Because these guys tangled at Super Brawl just a month earlier. And Simon, that's probably still fresh in your mind. Did you want to see Iokea Mysterio too? I don't know if Ray was like, look, guys, I'm so sorry about last month. Give me one more shot. I swear I can get a good match out of him. Someone thought he could and poor Ray couldn't. I've always said Ray's one of the best wrestlers ever. Barely ever has a bad match. And that barely ever is Prince Iokea because... <laughs> About halfway through, my brain gave up. I zoned out. I wasn't even watching. And I didn't even realize Mike Tanay was on commentary. So that's a mm-hmm. benchmark for me because I always notice when he's on because I hate <laughs> him as I've established. So for me, this match just white noise. I don't know what was going on. So I, got, <laughs> I got nothing to add. You guys take it from here. I love that. That's great. That, that match should just have that white nose tone, <laughs> tone over it. That'd be good. Well, help me guys, because Chris and I are coming in without the context. So I didn't know that they'd had a match the month prior. What happened in that match that made them want to do this again? Was it that bad? 
Look, last month's match, so now Prince Iakea, now we, Simon and I have this theory that Prince Iakea, when he first debuted, so he was given, like, well, he was defending the TV title at the previous pay-per-view. Now, he was the champion there, uh, he and he defeated Mysterio. But Prince Iakea, now this is the same time that Rocky Maivia came uh, into right. the WWF. Prince Iakea, now correct me if I'm wrong too, Simon, but he... He's a third generation. Well, he's a third generation super. Is he a third generation, generation athlete? Second yeah. generation. His dad, King Curtis Iakea, was a wrestler and a big star in like Hawaii in different territories. But yeah, the parallels are there. Polynesian multi-generation wrestler. <laughs> WCW jumped on the bandwagon and had their knockoff Rocky Maivia. And, and at Super Bowl they just had the most boring match for the TV championship. Arguably, this was like the perfect storm. I don't know how Rey Mysterio managed to survive this one because first off, you've got a wrestler that no one absolutely cares about in Prince Ikea. You've got a title in in WCW, in the TV title that no one cared about either. And you've got a match that Simon, like we just want to get out of our memories from Super Bowl. It's like, no, 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 trust me guys, invest in this one. But uh, right. interesting. Re- really, I didn't it's have not that, that context. context. So here's what I got from it without the context. One, they weren't even trying to do an outfit with Ray that resembled a superhero. They just put him in Spider-Man's gear. Like <laughs> there was spiders on the boots and like it was Spider-Man's gear. Like it wasn't even like a, a knockoff. They just put him in Spider-Man gear, which I thought was pretty brazen. Um, but uh, I immediately Googled Prince Iakea because the name was kind of familiar. I was like, I remember that name. But then first look at the kid. I'm like, he looks good. Like he must have gone on to do something after this character because his character stinks. But he like, he has a look that, you know, he, he looks like a young talent. I Googled him and he did nothing after this. He kind of, he became the artist formerly known as Prince Ikea for a while. Correct. I think. But, mm-hmm. but, but besides that, he didn't do anything, which was a surprise to me because he, he has that look that in the time you'd be like, oh, he has a future if he just can survive this bad gimmick. But uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a dud. It was a shame. So, Chris, going in without the same context that both Simon and I had and watching this cold and knowing what you know about Rey Mysterio, but maybe not knowing uh, about Prince Ikea, what did you get your impressions from this match? Well, the key beats were absolutely the concept of the WCW World Television title. It's just like, (laughs) it's like they have TV timeouts now in the NBA or whatever. talk Talk about made for television. Yeah, it's hard to get invested, you know, because I, I, one day I hope to see a unification between the world television, world radio, world <laughs> streaming belts. Print media, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, if, if Prince Iakea was their answer to Rocky Maivia and you said that he'd done nothing, Rose, you obviously haven't seen uh, Tooth Fairy 2 starring Prince Iakea. <laughs> and, 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 and as far as Ray is concerned, look, he and the commentary team we're doing their damnness to try and get Ioka over, right? So, like, you could just sort of see what Ray could do, and he's just like, I'm turning the dials right down. So he's almost executing his moves in slow motion, which was incredibly generous. But to me, it makes it like, you know, I know Ray Mysterio is better than this. And they were just so, you know, it was very heartwarming to see everyone getting in the Ioka corner uh, at one point, I think uh, Rusty, uh, Dusty offered the excuse that Ikea's problem might have been that he over-exercised. <laughs> and <laughs> it sort of picked up on that word, really, Dusty, over-exercised. And, and I know Ray asked for an extra five minutes. I have no recall whether he got it or not. 
<laughs> no, he did. He did. And uh, Prince IK managed to get the win there. So there you look, go. Yeah. It, it was a, a forgettable match there. And, uh, you know, Prince IK, I think his last match was in like 2009. He sort of, he sort of joins like Mike Sanders and the rest of the WCW cast offs that just mm. after WCW folded, just seemed to have disappeared into the wasteland. But uh, look, let's get into, before we get to the main event, let's touch on the, one of the weirdest, commercials you will ever see to promote a pay-per-view the four horsemen dressed up in as the wild wild west cowboys to promote spring stampede which includes i just love seeing rick flair in these ads because he buys all in on this and simon we've seen some pretty wacky commercials uh lead to promote pay-per-views of the late 90s how did this one stack for you I thought it was going to end up being great because WWF at the time were known for this. They'd have these weird stories, very cinematic, everything else. But this felt like it was really cut. Like there was no story. And I know it's a commercial for a wrestling show. I shouldn't be complaining about there not being enough of a story in it. But like Arn Anderson said something. Mongo said something. Benoit said something. Flair shows up for like half a frame and then the ad cuts. It's like, here's Flair and the ad's over. Like... Felt like they went to a lot of effort to film this and didn't produce much. Mm. Rose, what do you think? Yeah, I think this is another great example of um, where WCW were making their decisions to put their budget because <laughs> the show is like, we're live, baby. And there's things going wrong everywhere and no one seems to care. But this ad looked very nice. You know, they spent a day out in the... In the, in the desert uh, filming this and it looks fantastic. And it did remind me that this era of wrestling had a lot of these um, great, you know, that you remember some of the great ones that WWF did putting their wrestlers in these movie-esque roles. I love it. So it, it, it did its job at getting over the theme of Spring Stampede, if I remember correctly. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it just made me go, wow, well, that, that looks amazing. And why is this show a mess? Come on, get your priorities straight. Chris, did that get you salivating for uh, Spring Stampede? <laughs> I, I just sell like the whole time, Jim, so I got to be honest with you. Um, but uh, to me, it, it offered an explanation as to why Anderson and Flair were not at Uncensored because they made reference to the fact that they were not Uncensored but were going to be at Nitro the following night. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, what that said to me is it was probably a union thing, you know. You know, you know uh, they, they were working the rule. But... Uh, 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 when else would you have a stampede but in spring? Yeah. Yeah. Great point. <laughs> Great point. Very good point there. As we head to our main event, this is a three-team match. Michael Buffer is there as per usual. And uh, the best part I loved about this is uh, he explains the rules, but he's making no secret that he's reading this off cue cards. So much to the point where the camera, I don't know if you guys picked up on this too, but the camera just keeps zooming in more and more on his head to try and get the cue cards out of frame. <laughs> yeah, but do you know why they did that? Because the first time you saw the cue cards, it, they weren't professional cue cards. The back of it had like WCW stuff on it. He obviously just took a poster backstage <laughs> and because they, they would have explained the match to him and he would have said, hold on, I don't know what you're talking about. Give yeah. me some paper. And he cut it up because each one had jumbled letters on the back. He took like an yeah. uh, uncensored poster and just scribbled all this down. And he's yeah. reading it. Like at the best of times in WCW, Michael Buffer clearly doesn't know who or what he's talking about. He'll be like, yeah. and coming in, the, the world champion, Hulk Hogan, taking <laughs> on Roddy Piper. But for this, he was like, no, nah, I'm just reading it. Like, what, yeah. what is 
Someone explain to me the rules of this match and I'll give you $100 right now. <laughs> the cue card felt like a true, it was probably like a true pursuit card. The answers were on the back. It had the results to the match right there. <laughs> yeah. Camera side. Oh, shit. Zoom in. Zoom in. But yeah, like, I think, I don't even think Bruce Buffer knew what he was in for into this match. Like he, he was there to do the intro, but it felt like some when once he did the intros and sat down, someone mentioned to him, oh yeah, you're going to have to introduce everyone else that comes out and also the eliminations. Because suddenly he's like, what? You want me to do what and then like suddenly he's just like all the way through the match like oh uh who, who's that like there's someone sitting next to me who's that guy oh it's kevin nash kevin nash has been eliminated like he's just <laughs> hanging on for dear life for your time match. to be honest i think michael buffer was more across who was getting eliminated as the commentators were at times so they've been distracted but yeah. michael buffer has had an influence the last pit over our rumble i think just casually i said to rose you know rose let's get ready to rumble and i thought there'd be a legal action slapped on it um <laughs> by his his people, but it, he's such an influence. I emceed a wedding last night and there were the bridal party were five couples and sort of, you know, did the eye of the tiger for the undercard, the four tag teams. And then we went into welcome to the jungle for the, for the bride and groom. And uh, there were interesting aspects to that. One was uh, the best man couldn't make it. So I had to combine two couples in a triple threat match. But <laughs> when you got to announce the bridal cover and, and you just get to go and the new tag team champions of the world that's michael buffer he's just seeped into everyone's dna mm. and i'm expecting another legal action having just done that sorry guys <laughs> so let's get into the rules here so basically uh you've got uh, three teams four rounds the first segment is five minutes then every two minutes another man will join the match uh, you can be eliminated by pinfall knockout submission and over the top rope the stipulations are if WCW wins, the NWO must vacate all belts, which this is the first we're hearing of it too. We heard about the don't wrestle for three years or 36 months, but this is the first time I've heard him say they have to get rid of the vacate all the belts. I'm like, hmm, okay, fair enough. Uh, if the NWO wins, they get title shots whenever and wherever for any belt, which makes no sense since the only belt they don't have is the, um, is the US title. <laughs> Uh, unless they really wanted to fight Prince Iakea. Uh, he's, he's pretty good. He's pretty good. And last but not least, this is the best part. If Team Piper wins, Hogan must face Piper in a cage match. Which got the <laughs> biggest the cheer. Yeah. yeah, everyone yeah. wanted that so bad. They were really so excited for that. Yeah. I wanted it. <laughs> so let's get Great. into the meat and potatoes Imagine of this match. Imagine you were because, on Team yeah. Piper, though, and... You're choosing your steps and Team Piper says to the guys, all right, they're all getting title shots. They're running the show. I'm yeah, getting yeah. a cage match. You'd be like, well, I'm going to fight for you. I know. <laughs> yeah, I why know. wouldn't you just go and help the WCW team so all the titles are vacated? And and <laughs> can I just point out that I'm glad they put the vacated title stipulation because if you're gone for 36 months and you're all the champions, what are you <laughs> going to do for the show? You haven't got any champions. I'll tell you what, you've got Prince Iakea main events for a long time. He's carrying this business into 98, I tell you. But, but just quickly, when you've got an undercover with the world television belt at stake and a Texas tornado match, and the best they could describe the main event is a three-team match. Yes. Yeah, think of a name, guys. Come on. Come on. But look, so it starts off with Hall, Benoit, and Giant. Now, the Giant just absolutely cleans the house here. But he then eliminates himself in what seems to be the weirdest little elimination here. Then, I don't know, the match seems to sort of get to be a bit of a cluster. Uh, yeah. Like, the, the entire thing, like, Rose, you've brought this up a fair bit in um, as we've been doing this recording, but 
it seems like no one quite knows what's the narrative that we're all meant to follow here because all of a sudden now the narrative is like, oh, WCW screwed. We got no one. What's going on? Mm, mm. The, the, there's there's this dissonance all over the place. Like, uh, like everything we've talked about, even that first match that was no DQ between uh, Guerrero and Malenko, I don't even think they knew it was no DQ. They, yeah. they barely did. I, I think... No one has any idea what's going on in this show and it's falling apart at a rapid pace. <laughs> <laughs> it gets to be a real cluster here. Simon, do you have any highlights that you want to point out before we get uh, to the finish? Look, I mean, Scott Steiner coming out and just suplexing everyone. That was fun. Rodman mm. coming out halfway through the match with Hogan and the voiceover calling him the real hot rod. I made note of that because I don't remember them ever saying that again, but that was good. Really, mm. this match is all about Lex Luger at the end. We've mentioned so many times how he's yep. the most over guy at the time. And, you know, people don't remember that enough. Lex Luger steals the show here, I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah he really does. So. And, and Chris, I don't know about you, but we often sort of say Simon's got like the, the, the Lex Luger playbook, which is essentially he starts doing that little chicken dance thing and then <laughs> racks people. And we have saw that this is the epitome of, of uh, like winding up the Lex Luger toy, letting him go and watching the crowd go absolutely mental. Yeah, that was that was actually a really great moment. And sort of referring back to what Rose was saying, the journey to get there though was uh, very very messy. Uh, but obviously they were long and arduous. The, yeah, they were <laughs> yeah. trying to get to the four and one thing. Though there was one comment at the stage about alignment, and they talked about six WCW with Steiner, Rick Steiner not being there, six WCW four NWO, one independent being Roddy Piper. And I said, that's pretty much the makeup of the Australian federal parliament, I think. In terms of- <laughs> but it- <laughs> and, 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 and the other thing, and I must've missed where it came from and you guys might be able to fill me in. I, you know, I feel embarrassed. Bag of cement. What's that a reference to? Oh, like, that was from the, the- that was from the strap match. It was a running gag through the whole match. How Dusty yes. kept saying, a bag of cement is easier to drag than Scotty Riggs because the bag right. of cement doesn't fight back. Tony Schiavone <laughs> kept trying to shut that down, but Dusty and Brain brought it up, I think, in every match onwards. So that was nah, that. Because it kept coming up, and I thought it was a reference to genitalia, but I obviously got that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> right in the bag of cement. That's a good one. Um, yeah, right. Was this? Can you guys help me out with the timeline here? Had Rodman been seen on on much WWE TV before this? Feels like he might have just debuted between the last pay per view and this by the yeah, sounds yeah. of it. Right. So, yeah. this is a, a big feature is just the fact that Rodman is there. Yeah. And yeah. this is core Bulls time, right, Chris? If we're talking. Well, I, 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 if you go back to the last dance and then there was the, the controversy about Rodman going to a particular NWA yeah. show when he shouldn't have been, I'm wondering if this was it. Well, this be is quite actually... good. The, the this part with this, sorry to interrupt there, there, Chris, but this part is actually, so it's 98 where Rodman skips a Bulls practice right. to go right. to the thing because like 98 WCW is still fever pitch. This is where Jay Leno gets involved. They got Carl uh, Malone. This at the moment is him sort of dabbling his toe and like, right. oh, you know what? I might want to like, let's have a look here because this is still roughly around the same time where he's in his relationship with Carmen Electra. So he's still a very big name. It's not quite where the bulls are at their absolute power that we sort of see. Look, mm. to be fair to say, to say the bulls aren't at their power is a pretty ridiculous statement. Yeah. But they're not the middle to, of their they're, free championship run though. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, but this is, this isn't quite the part where, you know, it's, 
it's not the headline news that it was when Rodman made his pay-per-view appearance and stuff like that, because this is kind of like, this is to put it in modern terms, this would be like the bad bunny sort of, uh, participation where it's just like, Oh yeah, look, Rodman's dabbling in here. Whereas, whereas the outrage when he actually skipped a practice, like they're playing finals. What's he doing with Hulk Hogan? That part was more 98. Yeah. Right. So he's not breaking any rules. It's just a sort of a celebrity connection, by the way, behind me, I've got Carmel Electra's debut solo album. <laughs> How uh, is it? Completely written, the whole thing written by Prince. It's fantastic. Well, there you there go. go. Solid. Um, there you go. So- well, well, Rodman was uh, terrible at hiding spray paint. That's what I've noticed. Yeah, He's terrible. At, yeah. Don't ever get Rodman to smuggle anything. Yeah, don't ever get Rodman to smuggle anything for you because he's just terrible at it. <laughs> he just looks so guilty. Yeah, this this was he's just incredibly doing this all the time. And the thing is, too, like, so Rodman just looked like he was. Uh, like he going back to, and I know we're repeating ourselves here, but Rose, it's like no one told Dennis what to do during this match. He's like, Here, look, here's a can of spray paint, walk yeah. out with Hulk, he'll whisper a couple of things, and you just react to it. And, mm. and Port, I did feel bad for Dennis Rodman because it's kind of like, like he's, he's trying to look so cool, but he also has that look of confusion, like, Am I meant to do anything, or yeah, when do you my, want the spray paint? Yeah. <laughs> was it not the ultimate botch that? That the the cameras missed the moment where the spray in Luger's eyes. It's 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 a constant thing, and someone will back me up here. Like the amount of times that retroactively Tony Schiavone has to explain what yeah. has happened because a camera shot has missed the mm. key moment of like you know like did you see him get spray painted? Well, I'll tell you that's what happened. Take and my so, word yeah, this... for it; it really happened. And the other problem <laughs> is WCW never went to replays during matches. They would only do replays post match. So yeah, a moment like that they can't even just pull it because for whatever reason they save it. I'll be honest; I actually thought Luger got hit in the head with the spray can. I don't. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Yeah. That's, I think that's, and I think that's probably what happened. Yeah, because I had we, my theory was is that he sprayed him in the face with the spray can, but they hadn't shook it up, so no spray paint came out. Oh. So, so Rodman just grabbed it from under his arm and gone, and nothing's come. It's just been air that's hit him, and he just went down. That was my theory is that they didn't shake the can. But, but the the reason why I think he may have hit him because in the earlier segment with Macho and DDP. Macho hit DDP with the can and absolutely KO'd DDP. So I thought they were trying to establish that this is like the loaded can of spray paint. Mm. You hit someone on the head, they die. Which, look, I'm sure a can in the head would hurt. There's no (laughs) way it hurts that much. Yeah, yeah. So, look, like we said, this this match ended up being a bit of a cluster. The Lex Luger um, little keep up at the end and power through the NWO really is the highlight of this match. The NWO once again win. We see uh, Hollywood Hogan and the and the rest of the NWO cronies celebrate. And then this is like the real cherry on top of the entire pay-per-view. Sting comes down from the rafters. He hands out bloody scorpion death drops like they're going out of fashion here. And finally, <laughs> we're on the road to Sting versus the NWO. Yeah, was this the date... Where was this in the timeline of the crow stick? Is this uh, this is early, right, or what? This is a few months in, but I think this may be the first time where Sting actually lays hands on the NWO in a major is, way. Yeah, because I noticed the commentary team was still like, "Oh, but who's he playing for?" This was the time where Sting finally established, "Hey, I'm here to beat up the NWO," and he and finally. The- this might be the first time he hit Hogan too. 
is it the first time he would have come down from the rafters? Because I remember he was very like Phantom of the Opera at the beginning, right? He was yeah. just up in the rafters mm. and this was his first descension. And I, I noticed because this crowd is quite down. When they're down, they're very down. They're all just mm. sitting there kind of just watching. It's, it's quite dull. And then sometimes you're quite surprised when they get up and all like lose yeah. their minds because it comes out of nowhere. And this was one of their moments. They were almost in awe of the fact that Sting came down. But the moment he pulled out that bat and hit the first competitor, the building exploded exploded like yeah, i didn't yeah. expect those people to go that wild except so for many... the one guy who piffed his beer at sting <laughs> like, oh yes. and nails him. <laughs> he him so good well the... simon you've watched a, a, a few more nitros than i have now previous to this so in the in the going back to like oh who's whose side is sting on here i reckon that's actually like i will crap on wcw commentary a fair bit but i'll stand up from this case because the last time we saw sting on pay-per-view was when he came out with macho man at super brawl last year and then we saw macho man join the nwo so it's kind of a valid point like when he does appear it's just like is he going to join the nwo oh wait he just smacked scott hall in the head with a baseball bat i guess he's team wcw yeah, that's true. I think the build with Sting is brilliant because it was, we don't know what he's doing. And then for a few months, it was whose side is he on? Then for a few months, it was he hates the NWO. And then it finally led to, okay, he wants to wrestle and he's going to wrestle Hogan. They did a great job. Yeah. I, yeah. If, you want, if you want to do a split screen, do the split screen of the crowd as Sting is descending from the rafters up against the crowd during the Iokea Mysterio match. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll, you'll see a contrast. Um, the commentary did explain that, Nims, and, and, and that, that sort of put it into a context for me. If I was uh, giving one shout-out to the commentary during it was, Heenan said, all these uh, wrestlers, they have personal issues, they have financial issues. Now, that's, he's always thinking like a manager. I really, really <laughs> like that. But my highlight was when they did put the, the close cam on Hogan and Rodman. And I thought this was Rodman's best moment because he really, as Rose was suggesting, seemed raw in what he was attempting to do in his character. Uh, Hogan goes, in reference to seeing, he's pointing the bat at us, man, with the emphasis <laughs> on the word us. And he sort of saw Rodman look at Hogan saying, hey, man, you know, like... I got, I got limits here. I, I'm not taking this guy on. And I thought that was Robin's finest moment. It was it was rather cool there. And then finally we see the come up and say, and we're on the road to Starcade 1997. And the the, the finally the, the white knight has arrived. The NWO, you are done and dusted. Here comes Sting to save the day. As we then we roll to the credits, which once again has no surnames. We'll we'll quickly wrap up on some thoughts of the pay-per-view. Rose, we'll start off with you. What did you think of uh, Uncensored 97 as a whole? You know, now I sit here with you boys and have such a good laugh about this show. It's, it maybe wasn't as bad as I first thought it was going into this, uh, but uh, I, I really had a lot of fun watching it. That, like, like you said earlier, Simon, it really has every aspect of what WCW was in the 90s here and leading up to what was an amazing Starcade. It, it's kind of great to see this build. Would this be the result of them doing their own NWO pay-per-view in the future, I'm assuming, uh, because they won control of to how TV's portrayed was no, it, was no. this essentially we we already had to watch that nwo pay-per-view and oh so this is after that yeah which okay, is really okay. weird because yeah that stipulation would make sense if it happened before they had their own pay-per-view i thought it was genius i didn't know this part of the history <laughs> turns out it just isn't part of the history but i, I had a great time and I, and I thank you boys for asking me to watch it because i probably wouldn't ever have watched this show so it was it was wild <laughs> chris what did you think of this one well 
Uh, my takeaway was I think there's fairly natural alignments here between you and me, Nims, and Simon and Rose and the way that uh, things are viewed. And, mm. you know, I'm always interested in what Rose has to say. And so when he opened up and said, you know, I thought this was a train wreck. This has made me mad. Uh, I thought, well, um, I knew that I was going to end up liking the show even more as a result of that. <laughs> and and uh, having the pleasure of the experience and uh, the generous nature of you two was fantastic because I really, really enjoyed myself watching the show and getting a chance to talk through it with you guys. And it just says to me, Rose, we've got to get down to Melbourne and catch up with these guys soon, eh? Oh, mate. Oh, I'm, I'm down. Let's do it. We will. We will. We'll see you soon. Just hitch on that plane with uh, Robbie Eagles when he comes down uh, for MCW. Oh, but, yeah, um, you got <laughs> yes, I love it. But Simon, final thoughts on Uncensored 97. Well, look, I think I enjoyed this a lot, and this will give away when we're recording this. But I watched this last night. My option was either watching this pay-per-view or watching the funeral of Prince Philip. So I think that, <laughs> that really helped me get into the mindset of what else are you going to watch for three hours? So Did yeah, you, I Were you it. also uh, lamenting the lack of Prince Ikea at the funeral? <laughs> <laughs> well, this, this was basically the funeral of the career of Prince Ikea. So uh, there you go. I, I- I had the network on, on on the phone during the wedding and and just at the point where the groom said to the bride, Kate, I love you with my heart and soul. I involuntarily screamed, oh my God, it stinks. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I didn't play with either family. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, that's so good. But uh, hey, look, um, I, I also echo those uh, points too. But uh, like, boys, we want to thank you for jumping on board. And if you want to get in touch with both Andrew Rose and Chris Gale and the fine work they do, not just for PWA, but also their, um, their stuff outside of the wrestling sphere, get in touch. You can follow Rose at Andrew Rose Knows on Twitter. Uh, for Chris, you can follow him at Chris Gale. 11 on the Twitter machine. It's been a lot of fun to have you guys. We always love catching up with you. And yes, we do have to do an in-person catch-up at some point in time, but they're doing some fine work with PWA Black Label. Anything else you guys want to plug? Well, we've got our next Black Label show. at the, We're returning to our new spiritual home, I guess, in the overall context of things. Max Watts, 8th of May. And it's Aussie Open versus the Velocities for the tag team belts. And they normally have a, a, a cute little name to to apply to the event but this one they just go this is so huge let's just describe what it is aussie open versus the velocities we can't wait very very cool anything else rose no mate that's what we're looking forward to um you know but to to echo that it's so good that uh, we were talking before we recorded this about getting back to life and and being able to do shows in both our states and it just makes me so happy that we can all come together and have a laugh about uh, wrestling again and, and the world's opening up so i'm happy for everyone involved that we can do what we love a bit more and just and kind of that I, I i hope we get well soon as well oh, shut <laughs> up. Shut up. But, but just to spruik our hours as well too if you want to hear a great chat with the velocities uh simon and i did chat to them uh, on an episode of mcw wide where yes. they actually did bring up one of their favorite matches with uh aussie open didn't they simon yeah and we get to see that again down in uh, or over in mm. Sydney. This is this is kind of huge, though. We've got sort of a, a cross promotional thing happening on this episode. Really, like I love it. It's I very love it. Cool. I don't know if we needed to clear this with uh, management on either side, but <laughs> uh, look, we'll find yeah, out. Our interests are coincident. Australian <laughs> yeah. wrestling. <laughs> exactly. But uh, yeah, on uh, behalf of uh, myself and Simon, we will be back for another edition of Reliving the War. 
the next thing we are going to be covering is WWF In Your House, Revenge of the Taker. Sounds like a convoluted title. No doubt it is, <laughs> but it's a pretty damn good pay for you, though. But we will see you next time for another edition of Reliving the War. If you want to find out what we're doing, you can follow me on Twitter at Doc Nims. You can follow Simon at Simon Tackler. And if you want to catch up on anything Grey Wolf related, you can do so at Grey Wolf ENT on all the socials or greywolfentertainment.net. We will catch you next time for another edition of Reliving the War. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network, greywolfentertainment.net.